Hey, bosses, before we get started this week, I want to announce the Nomad Summit is coming to Las Vegas. It's going to be Labor Day weekend, September 1st through the 3rd in Las Vegas, Nevada. First time in the U.S. We're really excited. You can get your tickets at nomadsummit.com. And for everyone who wants to go to the Chiang Mai event, don't worry. That is happening January 19th through the 21st, also in Chiang Mai, Thailand. So nomadsummit.com for all the info. See you guys there. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey guys, welcome to episode 199 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here in Bankskol, Bulgaria with Mateus. Welcome. Thank you. So I have to thank you because you are the reason why I came to this random ski town in the middle of really nowhere. And it's the reason why I want to have you on the show is it's really interesting. Like I honestly, this is I think what a lot of people have dreamed about, not just this place in general, but just the idea of creating their own kind of co-working digital nomad utopia. How did how did all this start? Like actually, let, let's let's rewind even further. What is your journey? Like how did you become a nomad? How did you get involved in the scene? Um, so I was a member in a co-working space in Salzburg and we came up with the idea that in the winter actually it would be pretty cool to go to a warm location and set up a temporary co-working space. And this resulted in a project called Co-working Camp. And initially I thought there would be lots of people like me showing up that normally work in a co-working space and then go somewhere for six weeks and travel. But to my surprise, there were lots of location independent people there that were just living out of their suitcase. And I talked with them and I thought a little bit about myself and I decided, yes, actually I can travel too. I don't need to have like a fixed office. And this is how I started traveling a few years ago. Wait, so what what kind of business were you working at the time? And I guess you almost kind of stum- stumbled upon the location independent movement. Yeah, so I mean, my background is in software and I have different products that deal with online marketing and with social media. And all my, all my people in the team, they are all remote. So I work with Pakistanis, a guy in the Ukraine, and I have a designer in Poland. And so this means I don't really need to be in a specific office to supervise my employees and my team members. I can do this from wherever. But initially I didn't realize it because I'm from Germany and I had a very traditional career before I started my own business in a big company. And I I always thought like you need to have an office to have a business and then i discovered no this is not true you don't really need an office yeah and you know what's ironic is um i think the biggest joke that non-nomads always mention is like what you i thought you became a digital nomad so you can stop working for an office now you, you're joining offices wherever you go and you're actually paying to be in an office which is crazy right yeah, even though, I mean, I, I don't see co-working spaces necessarily as a replacement for an office. So I have a beautiful home office, um, very comfy, fast internet. But I always go to co-working spaces when I travel because I like to meet other people. I like to see other ideas. I want to talk about my business and see if there's people that we can do things together, either professionally or socially. And this is also how we operate the co-working space here in Banska. I think most people, uh, since apartments are very cheap, could easily have a beautiful home office. But they decide they want to be around other people and not work alone yeah definitely actually the place i'm staying in now is a two bedroom two bath and the second bedroom overlooks the balcony so lots of natural lighting i could easily turn that into a home office especially if i stayed longer but it didn't even cross my mind because i enjoy leaving the house 
going for a walk, going to a social space where I have, I don't want to say coworkers because we're working on different things, but we're co-working with other people who are also doing some kind of online business. Maybe we can collaborate on something. Maybe they can help me with something. Maybe I can help them with something. Or we can just have lunch and they can understand, um, you know, what I'm going through. So I, I am a big believer in co-working uh, and I'm really glad you made this space. How did you choose Banksco as this location? Yeah, so I met my co-founder, Uwe, on a pretty interesting project called Cobot, where for 18 days we were on a catamaran with other digital nomads. And we were discussing co-living and co-working and we thought, yeah, it would be interesting to do a project together. And we were both traveling a lot, so we knew a lot of co-working space, we know a lot of digital nomad hubs, and we decided we want to do something different. And the different for us was, let's do something in the mountains in a ski resort, because at the time there were very few options, um, especially options that are affordable for nomads. Of course, there are some spaces in Switzerland, for example, there's a space in Tahoe, but you need a very different income level to actually afford those spaces, and they're more meant for shorter stays. So we decided we wanted something longer term, and I personally also was looking for a new base, so I lived in Salzburg in Austria before, and I wanted to move to a lower taxation, lower cost of living country. And a friend of mine mentioned, hey, why don't you look at Bulgaria? It is like 10% flat income tax. It's very low cost of living. And it's inside the European Union. So for Europeans, you don't have a problem with a visa. You can just move there and that's it. And then we looked a little bit around and we discovered this ski resort a town. We came here in the summer with a few friends to check out if this is actually a year-round location. And then we very quickly met Irina, who helped us to start the space. And we decided, okay, let's just do this. You know, what you mentioned about the tax benefits is really interesting because for Europeans, you have to pay tax somewhere. And if you do it in your home country of Germany or Switzerland or, you know, a lot of the kind of more Western, more expensive places, it could be, what, 40, 50 percent, sometimes maybe even higher if you're from like Norway or Sweden or something. For Americans, we don't have this uh, benefit or requirement because we have to pay tax in the U.S. anyways. But it was funny, last night we went to the hot springs and I noticed there were, you know, five Americans here and we're here for completely different different reasons than Europeans. Yeah, I mean, um, everyone travels for different reasons. Everyone is looking for something else. Um, but... I think for, for Europeans, taxation is really a big topic. And we do a lot of content marketing. So we write a lot of stories on Medium and on our Facebook page. And what I've noticed is that whenever we talk about taxation, cost of living, how cheap it is to buy an apartment, traffic goes up a lot. When we talk about how beautiful it is and the great food and all the things you can do in the mountain, people are interested, but it's a different level. And for me personally... Uh, when I travel and when I had my base in Salzburg, I always felt bad about traveling because I had this very expensive home base. And of course, taxation also brings you a lot of benefits. So if you look around Bulgaria and if you look around Austria, then the infrastructure is a very different level. But if you don't use this and you have your base in a country where you have very high taxation, then it makes it more difficult to travel. So I personally wanted a place where I don't feel bad if the apartment is empty and where I can just like leave all my stuff and still travel and enjoy life. How much were you paying for your apartment in Salzburg? Um, so I rented in Salzburg and I paid about 600 euros rent. And it was not a big or fancy apartment or anything. Yeah, and I've never heard of Salzburg, so I'm assuming it's not a 
big capital city. It's not like Berlin or you know Hamburg or something. Uh, Salzburg is the birthplace of Mozart. <laughs> it's a very very beautiful place in Austria, and it's a it's a high. I mean, it's a high cost of living place because it's uh, geographically limited. There's mountains around it, so there's not a lot of land. Uh, it's directly next to the border to Germany, so there's like limitations where it can grow, and it has a beautiful historic old town. So I often compared living there to living in Disneyland because it's it's just beautiful and. You get a lot of things for your social security contributions, and and I mean, I was really happy living there, but having it as a nomad base is is a different is a different factor. So you need to look at different things and then decide does it really make sense? Yeah, I, I'm the same way with uh, leaving a place empty. When I was in Chiang Mai, and I used to have an apartment that was two hundred or two hundred fifty dollars a month, I didn't mind leaving it empty for even one or two months at a time, just a storage, because I figured ah, uh, you know, it's only a couple hundred dollars, it's not a big deal. But when I moved into a nicer place that was eight hundred dollars a month, there was no way I was going to leave that empty. I would, you know, much rather either stay there or completely check out and then have to go through the hassle of moving everything, selling everything, and then moving back in. I think Banksco is similar, where people either just buy a place for, you know, uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, but as low as ten thousand uh, dollars, or they can rent a place for as cheap as one hundred fifty, you know, dollars or euros per month, and. When you do the the math and you realize, hey, for the place I was paying for a one-bedroom apartment in California or New York or in Vienna or somewhere expensive, I can have a place for an entire year, then you don't really mind leaving it empty. Yeah, uh, I think this is very true. And it's also a different feeling if you know that you have a base that you can come back to. So for me personally, it was always important that I can travel, but then I can also go go back to my home. Yeah, especially to be able to buy things like ski equipment or you know toys and i noticed that uh you have the same problems that i used to have where you just really like technology you like you like board games you like things and one of the the benefits actually of being a nomad for me is i'm forced not to buy anything because i can't carry it um so that could be a potential downside if, if i had home base but it's also nice because i do miss having things i, I miss having for example, you know, my favorite board games. I miss having, you know, a bicycle. And you're able to have all that while still being able to travel. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, you're right. On, on the one hand, buying too much things can be a problem. On the other hand, it's also a comfort. And I think here in Bulgaria, it's... It's, it's not so bad. So if you live in Salzburg or if you live in Munich, then you always have to keep up with your neighbors. You have to dress nicely. You need all kind of different shoes. You need to wear ties and suits. And, um, here in our village, it's a little bit different. So when you walk around, it's like much more uh, closer to the basics. So you don't need so many things. We don't have a big shopping mall here. So you're not tempted to buy stuff that you don't need. And I think this makes life also much easier. So if you don't have so many things. Yeah, definitely. And. Well, how okay? So one of the big downsides of Chiang Mai or Thailand is you can't order things from Amazon. Uh, I notice packages coming here. How does that work? Uh, so you can definitely order from Amazon. So Bulgaria is inside the European Union, so there's no problem with customs if you order from Amazon Germany or Amazon UK. Um, there's a little bit of a shipping fee. It's about five to ten euros depending on how much you order but generally it works very well but as i said you really don't need so many things and there's also some bulgarian websites similar to amazon so the people that are here longer have figured out how to get stuff that you can't buy in bansko itself or even where it would be a hassle to figure out in sofia where the right shop is and then just order it online 
So I just wrote a big blog post uh, on johnnyfd.com about Banksco and about Bulgaria. Yeah, and then it, it goes to about April 15th, but you were saying that kind of towards the end, um, you know, you can still ski during the during the in the mornings, but then by noon it gets too muddy or too uh, a, little, a little bit too hot um, to be able to ski. So March is definitely the the best time to come. Um, and my original fear, actually, the reason why it took me so long to come to Banksco was I was going to come in the winter to learn how to ski or snowboard. I've never done it, but I was so afraid that I would hate it and then be stuck in Europe, you know, during the cold. Uh, so my original idea was, okay, if I came in like January or something and I have like four months before it started getting warm, but now that I've actually been here, I realized, okay, if I come in March, you know, I ski for a month, if I love it, I can plan again for next year. If I don't love it, you know, at least I'll know. I'll try it. And if I get cold, there are so many cheap flights from Sofia, which is capital of Banksco, to warmer places. Uh, this year, I spent April in Greece, and it was nice. It was pretty warm. So people can definitely come here for like – actually, I, this is my personal kind of uh, itinerary for the year. And I think this is what people – you know, people, if they want to follow along, this is what they can do. November – December, January in Chiang Mai because that's when Thailand's not too hot. The air is really clean. Um, there's a lot, lot of nomads there. It's kind of high season. The nomad summit is in January. After that, in February, maybe going on the islands for a month or something, could do some scuba diving. And then March, come to Bangsco. And then if you want, you can basically use it as a home base for the whole summer because it's cheap enough where you can leave your bags here and there's so many cheap flights from Sofia, which is the capital, just two hours away, that you can basically leave all your stuff in Banksco and see all of Europe. Um, what are like what are some places that that you can fly directly to from here? Uh, so I don't know all the places, but Ryanair and Visair both have about 40 destinations from Sofia with direct flights. So all over Europe is pretty accessible. Also, what you should consider is that the Balkans is actually a very nice region. So there's uh, several countries around here. There's Greece, there's Macedonia, there's Albania, there's Romania, there's Serbia. Uh, Croatia is not too far away. So if you have a car or a motorbike, then you can easily do a road trip here around the Balkans and explore this area. And there's a lot of history. So for me as a German, uh, Bulgarian, area was never really on the radar because it was behind the Iron Curtain and it's kind of too far away to to really drive from Germany but it's too close to fly so it's in a weird spot but once I came here I realized hey this is a really cool area and there's a lot of history there's lots of interesting cities that you can explore so um yes use it as a base but don't use it as a base just to fly to Barcelona really explore the area around here yeah um mm -hmm. I mean funny enough Barcelona is one of those places you can fly for $50 or less, uh, even round trip sometimes. But that's a, that's a really good uh, idea where there's all these places in the Balkans and actually in Eastern Europe that you can either drive to or fly to. For example, next week, I'm going to be going to Odessa in Ukraine. And I was so surprised they had a direct flight from Sofia to Odessa without even needing to go through the capital of Kiev for 60 bucks, including my luggage. And... All, both of these are out of the Schengen zone. So for as an American or non-European resident, it's really important for us because we only have 90 days in all of the Schengen zone, which is mostly, you know, most of Western Europe, you know, Germany, uh, Spain, all those places. So before discovering Bulgaria, 
I had to either risk overstaying or I had to leave after 90 days and, you know, basically go back to the US or go back to Asia, which is a long flight. But now that I have Bulgaria uh, as a base and Ukraine as a base, I can basically stay six months the whole, you know, summer to summer or even longer if I wanted to. So I really like this whole new area that really was kind of undiscovered by mainstream tourism, but also as from nomads uh, until really very recently. Yeah, uh, this is definitely something that people that come to us also consider. I mean, Bulgaria being outside Schengen is a real advantage if you want to stay longer in Europe. Yeah. So actually, do you know what is happening? Because I know Bulgaria is in this weird spot where they're part of the EU, but they're not part of the Schengen zone. And they keep talking about, you know, maybe next year they'll join, maybe next year they'll join. Is there actually any benefit of Bulgaria joining? Because the downsides, you know, are going to be people like me are probably going to spend less time here because we don't have as much of a visa benefit. Yeah, it's true. But you have to consider the local people as well. Of course, for some travelers that don't want to stay longer and don't get the visa to stay longer, it will be a disadvantage. But for the country, it would be a huge advantage because it makes the administration much easier. It means less waiting time on the borders, for example. So, um, and of course, the movement of goods is faster if you don't have border controls. So Bulgaria will join Schengen. It, it just won't happen just right now because there are still some issues with transparency and corruption in Bulgaria. That's kind of one of the disadvantages of this country is that they're still early in their development. They're still figuring things out. The legislative is working on it. Um, the, the rule of law is not so strong here. And the European Union is putting the decision if Bulgaria is allowed to join Schengen and also allowed to join the Eurozone um, for the currency on progress in this corruption and transparency issues. And I think this will take a few more years. I'm actually really happy that this has taken a few years because for now, uh, Americans, Canadians, Australians, anyone who's not a EU resident can really take advantage of this non-Schengen zone visa rule. And the fact that it's not on the euro and it's on the LEV, I feel like it keeps prices down a lot. Where I feel like when countries join uh, and start using the euro, prices kind of start reverting to the mean. Have, have you noticed that at all? I don't know if this is true. I mean, the Bulgarian left has been stable um, basically since the Deutschmark. So the exchange rate to the Deutschmark was fixed. And then they just used the same exchange rate when Germany joins the euro. And prices will go up here. Of course, there will be a little bit of inflation, but I don't think it will be massive. And again, you have to look at the local population as well. So for us, of course, Bulgaria is very affordable. But for the locals, you have to look at the local salaries and how much money they make. And of course, this will determine prices, not if the Germans and the Americans uh, nomads come here. Yeah, so... Speaking of cost of living, this is one of the big reasons why Bangsko is so popular with digital nomads. I really thought that Chiang Mai was going to be the cheapest place in the world in terms of places we would actually want to live. Uh, obviously, there's always going to be cheaper places that have, but you know, they might not have in infrastructure. There might be high high crime rates. Um, surprisingly, Bulgarian crime rates are extremely low. I looked it up uh, while I was writing my blog post, and I was shocked. Um, I mean, I felt safe here. Uh, so I didn't think it would be that high, but I, I kind of assumed like, oh, it's probably higher. You know, it's probably at least as high as New York or LA, but it's not. It's actually very, very low. The only thing that scores very uh, high on the crime rate is corruption and bribery. So on a political level, <laughs> corruption and bribery are a huge problem. But in terms of being, you know, just petty crime, being uh, pickpocketed, robbed, you know, 
you know, just any kind of normal crime, it is way lower than even like Spain and places like that. Yeah, I think this is also related to the fact that Bulgaria is a small country. Uh, the cities are smaller, the villages are smaller, and everyone knows each other. So I'm always surprised at how how many people, even I know, and I'm a foreigner, but if I go to Sofia, people on the street will just recognize me and chat me up. So I think this makes it difficult for, for criminals to really steal from other Bulgarians because everyone knows each other. The most kind of shocking thing that I read on um, on Wikipedia was... In all of 2016, there was only 155 murders in the entire country. I'm pretty sure that happens every week in Chicago, or you know, unfortunately. But it's it really it's it's weird because the stereotype of Bulgaria or any of these uh, these countries in the former you know Eastern Bloc is that it's going to be you know these crazy places. Uh, people might ask like, oh, is there internet? Are there roads? But the infrastructure here is pretty good. Like the internet here is way better than Germany. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, Johnny, of course, you have only seen Bansko, which is a touristic place. So there's 4G coverage in the whole village. If you go outside, even if you go to the next village of Ruslock or to Blagovgrad, uh, the mobile coverage is not so high. I mean, clearly here they went after the tourists, which is also why we are here, because we have all this touristic infrastructure uh, that's to some extent even overdeveloped and we can take advantage of it. So it's funny that you mentioned it being overdeveloped. This is probably one of the few places on earth that has too much available accommodation. Like, how did that happen? Well, I wasn't around at that time, but after Bulgaria joined the European Union, a lot of people uh, saw development potential. And of course, there was also a lot of development money flowing into the country. So they were doing a lot of projects. And Bansko was one of these areas where people really had a big vision that the real estate prices here would basically go to the same level as in the Alps, which never happened. But when people started developing, there was very aggressive sales tactics to foreigners and selling foreigners this dream that, okay, there's something new. Bulgaria is opening up. We all will get rich. So there were many British people, especially, that bought an apartment. Then they thought, okay, why don't we buy two or three apartments? And at that time, the prices here were about five to ten times higher than they are now. Um, and for the last 15 years, real estate prices have been going down. So people that bought into this original dream I had a lot of trouble. And also the developers, they, a lot of them did a first project, made some money, then started a second project, sold half of the units, and then started the third project and all went bankrupt. And now we see a lot of complexes and a lot of units that have never been fully developed where they just did the uh, outside construction, but the interior furnishing is not done. And I think there is development. There's also talk in the town about uh, expanding the ski area with a second gondola. Uh, this discussion has been happening for the last 10 years, but I think now finally it's going to happen. And also the highway from Sofia is being improved, so that it shortens the time that you need to travel. There's more and more Bulgarians that earn decent salaries, especially in the IT sector in Sofia. So I think in the long run, um, all these empty units will come online, but it will probably take another 5 to 10 years to really... We get there. So the entire population of Bangsko is 8,000 people, which is a really small town. We consider it more of a village. It's kind of on the borderline of the two. Uh, tourism obviously brings that, brings a lot more people. And, and now the nomad scene is bringing people as well. Um, but how many empty apartment units would you estimate there are here? Do you think there are over 100? I mean, I know there's about 200 uh, hotel and apartment complexes that have been built. And 
even in the apartment complex that became online, I mean, not all of them uh, have been finished. So I would think that maybe 25% are still in a construction stage. And even those that are finished, a lot of the units are available. So I live in a place uh, that's beautiful. It has about 300 apartment units. And I rarely see any of my neighbors. So half of these units have not been sold and belong to the bank. And the other half, the people use it maybe one week per year so if you don't want neighbors around here then there's lots of opportunities for that yeah definitely so one of the the things that was you know really kind of sparked my interest when when i first heard about banksco and first decided to come check it out was that technically there are studio apartments for sale for as low as seven thousand five hundred euro and i think i've even seen a few a little bit lower than that but this is to own an apartment. You know, I want you guys to think about this at home. Like how much you're paying for rent at your place, how much it would a place cost to buy in your city. And if you were able to buy a place for 7,500 euro, which is about $8,000, we would just buy it instantly. And actually, I had a few friends uh, joked me, like almost half joking. They said, hey, Johnny, if you, if you go to Banksco and you buy a place, buy me one too, I'll give you the money. And I'm like... You're kidding, right? You're not even going to come look at it, and uh, they're like, "No, no, just if you, if you buy places, buy you know, buy me the one next door," because it just sounds so cheap that really anybody, you know, even if you're not making a ton of money, you can you can afford an eight thousand dollar apartment. But uh, I think this is both a reality. It actually is true. Where you can actually buy an eight thousand dollar apartment, but the reality is most people probably shouldn't. And if you do buy one, it's probably not going to be eight thousand dollars. Like. But it, let's talk first talk about the, the the good parts of it. The the myth, I guess, that people come to Banksco for the first time and buy an apartment within the first week, it's true, right? Uh, unfortunately, it's true. So we have a series of onboarding emails. And on day seven, the email is about real estate and what you should look at uh, when you buy something and if you should even buy something. Uh, we're trying to convince people not to buy too quickly, but we had several people that bought before they get this email about real estate so and i think they're happy so it's it's okay if you want to buy quickly um i bought here uwe bought here so we have a, quite a few people that bought i bought two of these very low cost um, ten thousand euro apartments as guest apartments pretty happy with it but i think if you want to make Bansko your base, just rent the first months or two. Also check out the complex and see if it's actually an area that you would want to live in uh see if there's a difference between the summer and in the winter, because if you buy on the fourth floor of a nice building that has a beautiful pool in the winter season and there's no problem. And then in the summer, the whole building shuts down, including the elevator and the pool is not heated, then it's a very different experience. So take your, take your time uh, to make this decision. Um, I think it makes sense to, to buy an apartment here, not so much as an investment, but if you want to have Bansko as your base and you have your own place, you can furnish it like you, how you like it. You can improve the kitchen. You can do renovation. You can paint it. Uh, you don't have to worry about the maintenance that the owner is not doing because you as owner and you can decide what you want to do. And it also makes it easier to get tax residency if you actually own property. So um, I think if you want something cheap and easy, then yes, Bansko is a good choice, but don't buy in the first week. Yeah, and it's funny that you say that because, you know, obviously the more people that buy apartments in Bansko, the better it is for the co-working space because more people are committed to living here. But at the same time, it is nice that, you know, you're not, um, you know, trying to get people too excited. You're like, look, for some people, it's a really good idea. 
it can be a very good value, very good deal. But just like buying anything, really, especially a place to live, it's probably not a good idea to like jump in within you know five days of being somewhere. It's probably good to do a little bit of due diligence and see if you actually like it. But it's funny that as digital nomads, we are part of our philosophy is being location dependent, not having any material things. Most of us are minimalists. You know, most of us um, enjoy the fact that we don't have any responsibilities or or a house or something to take care of. Yet, for so many of us, the idea of being able to have an apartment to leave our stuff and have a home base is so appealing. Why do you think that is? I mean, the grass is always greener on the other side, right? So on the one hand, becoming a digital nomad means you're leaving this traditional lifestyle where you save for a house and then you have a family and you plant an apple tree and stuff. And rather, you really cherish your freedom and you can go to a different place each month. But I think once you travel for a longer period, you realize that this excitement about travel is wearing off a little bit. And yes, uh, the digital nomad community is very small and, uh, and a lot of nomads know each other and we bump into each other in different locations around the world again and again. But still having a, a really a stable home base, I think is very alluring for a lot of nomads, especially if it doesn't mean that you now have to sell your soul to a big company to get a stable job and then get a big mortgage and pay for the rest of the next 25 years, but just buy something outright cash and this is yours and you know you can always come back. Also, once you have bought something, it doesn't cost you anymore. I mean, uh, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and nomads, they go through ups and downs, right? So sometimes we have very successful projects and we just rake in the money and then maybe the next year the market has changed and we have to go on a little bit leaner diet and if you have your own place, then it doesn't really matter and you have a, always a base where you can fall back where you don't have a lot of uh, monthly costs and expenses. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because uh, Sam Mark who's the co-host of my other podcast, Invest Like a Boss, the first thing he did when he made some money was he bought three condos in Chiang Mai. And his explanation was, if I ever go broke, at least I have a place to live in. I have a place that can rent out uh, to have some income. And I have a place where you know my friends and my family can stay when they, when they come visit. And I think financially, it, it hasn't actually made any sense for him because he's not in that unit most of the year. He's, he's only staying there a few months of the year. So he could have just rented a place would have been cheaper. Uh, he, you know, he's not making that much from the actual inc- like rental income property because most of them are sitting empty most of the year. But I think there's some intangible benefit that's mental, knowing, hey, my stuff's there, uh, I have it, I can use it, I can rent it, you know. And I think for a lot of people, that is, that in itself is worth ten thousand dollars. Yeah, I think so too. And then of course, there's also this other aspect. Um, here we. We are more of a transient co-working space. So since we attract digital nomads, um, a lot of people come. They come for one month. In the winter, maybe they come for three months. But then they also travel away again. But if you own a place here or if you have been a member of the co-working space, then you know you can always come back and you will always know some people. So it's like a community that's always here. It might not be the same people that are here, but you will know about half of the people when you come back. And we have a lot of people that travel and come back. And, and it's always like this big welcome and, and this big goodbye. And, and I, I love this. I mean, it's bringing in this dynamic. But on the other hand, you also have this stable community where you know some people and you know, okay, this is the culture and the type of people I really want to hang out with. 
Yeah, even uh, Yuvi, the your co-founder, he's on a trip right now, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, Uwe is on a sailing trip in Croatia. Uh, basically, Uwe and I, we travel about half our time. Sometimes we are here in Barnesco together. Um, sometimes none of us is here. And I'm happy that we have set up the process and the community now in a way that this is actually possible, that we don't have to babysit the co-working space. We have an operations manager, Elena, that's taking care of everything. And we have a community that's able to also organize amazing events if we are not here. So this allows me and Uwe to travel because we, we are both still nomads as well so we didn't want to have a job where we have to stay for the rest of our lives now in a small mountain village so i'm wondering how many nomads listening to this you know are also dreaming about starting a co-working space uh, what would you say to them? Um, save up and then open it. I mean, there's so many opportunities for co-working. So the co-working community is growing. Uh, you can see every year there's uh, thousands and thousands of more spaces opening. I don't think digital nomads are the main target group of co-working spaces. Though. So if you want to run a co-working space as a business, then you probably should go to a large city where you have a big freelance population. But if you want to have a lifestyle business as a digital nomad and you want to create something that's your own and where you can have your own culture, and I think this is a big movement within co-working space, that the co-working space always reflects the culture and the vision of the owner. And so if you want to do something like this and maybe you have an interesting hobby where you're saying, hey, this would be really cool if we could have a co-working space in a location, bring some people there, uh, then yes, open one. Uh, don't underestimate how much money you need to bring to open it, especially if you have a smaller space. So there's some uh, financial models about how many members you need for a co-working space to be profitable. And in general, this is about 100 members. So you need about a 1,000 square meters, 10 square meters per member for a co-working space to really be sustainable that you can stop putting free work and money in it and this doesn't work in a small location but if you are into kite surfing or into scuba diving and especially for scuba diving if you are nomad thinking about scuba diving and co-working please tell me because i would love to have a location where i can uh, scuba dive and have a co-working community around me so i think there's lots of combinations i just uh, got forwarded a link yesterday from an indian friend about a cool place in the himalayas where you actually have to hike for four kilometers to get to the co-working space but it looks beautiful right and i'm pretty sure this is not a big business because because it's like a totally remote location, but it could be a lot of fun. So if you want to live in a place like this, have interesting people around you, then yes, open a co-working space. Yes. So I, I think this is kind of uh, what I've taken away from that at least is if you want to do it as a profitable business, you have to think of it first as a big business. You know, think of hundred thousand square meters, ten no, no, thousand square meters, and a hundred members. And if you're not willing to do that. You can still create a small space that you enjoy having. You know, hopefully you can break even so you can, you know, you can be able to, to have the space. Um, maybe one day you can turn a profit, but don't expect a small space, a 40 member space to be, you know, this big profitable machine. Yeah, this is true. I mean, there's the cost of membership in a co-working space is always linked to the real estate price because people always consider, okay, um, how much would it cost me to have an office or to share an office with some friends? So you can't charge too much, which means you always need a certain amount of members, regardless where you are. If you're in Tokyo or in Bansko, where of course real estate prices are different, but you still need this critical uh, limit of members to make it work financially. But for me in the co-working scene, and I'm very active in the co-working community, I go to a lot of conferences i am in contact with a lot of space owners 
co-working is not necessarily about money, right? So there's this big co-working chains like WeWork, for example, that rake in a lot of investment and build beautiful spaces and they're very profitable. But there's another part of the co-working scene, which is more of this independent movement where founders say, okay, I want to build a community. Uh, maybe I have a small team and I want a bigger office and also invite other people in there. Or maybe I'm interested in some social causes and I want to support um, a cause by having a co-working space focused on it. Or maybe it's like Uwe and Matthias that say, okay, we want to live in this mountain village, but it would be too boring if there's no other people like us around it. So figure out why you want to open a co-working space. If it's just to make money, Maybe look at other businesses. There's better ways to make money than with co-working. But if you want to build an amazing community and if you have a little bit resources to actually make it happen and to contribute more, then yes, go for it. I think this community aspect is what a lot of nomads need, right? So we, we travel, but we want to be around other people. And a normal co-working space doesn't cater to nomads so much because it is already a stable community. So if you come there for two weeks or for a month, then the other people in the co-working space, the members, they will say, okay, who is this guy? And he will be gone soon. But if it's like a nomad co-working space, it means, oh, this is cool. Now I met him and I will meet him again in another country very soon. Yeah, I really like it. Uh, I actually want to really thank you and Uvi for creating the space because if it wasn't for you guys, I would never in a million years come to Banksco. I never would have heard about it. And there'd be no reason for me to stay. Actually, when I wrote my article on, on the blog, a few people commented saying, oh, I'm actually from Bulgaria. I never thought to go to Banksco. Or, oh, I've actually been to Banksco to go skiing a few years ago. I never thought of it as a, a place to go uh, co-work from. But now you guys like rich, like literally single-handedly put Banksco on a map worldwide, internationally for digital nomads as a base. And... It's not going to be for everybody, you know. Some people are going to, you know, going to hate the cold. Some people are going to find it too small. Uh, some people like big cities. Some people like beaches. Whatever it is, but for a lot of people, this is going to be a great base for them to live in, either part of the year, maybe you know, have a place year-round, even uh, have maybe uh, make it into a tax residency where they can bootstrap and um, you know save money, uh, or just a place to check out to see if it's for them and. Regardless of what happens five or ten years from now, like let's say you you know you guys are very successful, and I hope you are, you know, five years, ten years from now, Banksco might become you know this big big place where there's ten co-working spaces, you know, who knows? But I really want to thank you for being the first for you know taking that gamble, investing it, and just you know creating a place that you know that really I can feel is sincere. It comes from the heart, saying you know what we want to build up this place. Uh, because we we like it and we we think other people will like it too. Yeah, and I mean this is also part of the vision that Uwe and I have for Bansko is it shouldn't just be co-working Bansko, it should really turn Bansko into more of a hub and a base for nomads. And this means that it could also be a lot of other projects. So we do the things that we do, but I think, for example, that there would be room for a Bulgarian co-working space. There's more and more people in Sofia that work in IT. In our co-working space, the language is English, but in all the co-working space in Sofia, the language is Bulgarian because Bulgarians like to 
to speak Bulgarian with other Bulgarians. So I think it would be great to have a co-working space here for Bulgarian remote workers. It would be great to have a maker space. We have a few 3D printers, but it would be nice to really have a, a curated maker space where I have a CNC mill and a laser cutter and somebody who can explain to me how to use this. It would be interesting to have more people doing trainings like having a nomad academy or even a digital skills academy for the business in Bansko to learn about how can we do more digital things. Um, it would be maybe a good base for an incubator program because you can really cheaply live here. The cost of living is low when you just start out your company. You could have an incubator with some mentors where you get a little bit of investment. You can easily rent apartments for team members and start the first six months of your company journey here. So I think there's a lot of things that you can do in Bansko and we hope we can give some incentives and ideas to other people to start things but the idea is clearly that yes it needs to be a community where not only uh, the co-working space is doing things but where also other people in the greater area do things together yeah i really like it uh and i don't know if you've read my article uh, on my blog where i wrote designing the perfect co-working space i've now been to you know hundreds of co-working spaces all around the world you know um and i've worked from I I've literally lost count now. I've worked for you know at least you know dozens, if not a hundred places, and they none of them are perfect. You know they all kind of have you know quirks. Some of them are better than others. Even like my my favorite one, you know, which is like I think the first one is always your favorite, just because it just introduced you to the the concept. Pun space and Neiman. When I really thought about it, I was like, you know what? They don't even have coffee. <laughs> and this is like one of the most common things that you need for um, a coloring space. But I think they did so many other things well. Uh, and just Chiang Mai, it's nice. And it was a really good location uh, that it it passed, right? But Banksco, coworking Banksco really is the perfect coworking space in terms of ergonomics, uh, having you know tables that are the right height to work from, to having power outlets everywhere. To having comfortable chairs that you can actually sit in and work, you know, the whole day if you need to, uh, to having good natural lighting as well as artificial lighting, to having you know multiple Skype rooms and places you can take a phone call, to having padding on the wall so there's no echo if you need to record a podcast, to having you know good free coffee, to having filtered water for people to drink, to having you know a social space where people can you know get together and gather, to having events. It really is. It really ticks all the boxes. And I'm not just saying that because you're here. I, you know, I wrote it in my, my blog post. I actually even updated that original designing the perfect coworking space article saying, I, I found one. Here's an example. But what's sad actually is I don't think you guys will be featured on any of the, you know, those like glamorous top 10 coworking space in the world because all those spaces look great in photos, uh, even if they suck as a co-working space. So places that have a swimming pool or places that look like some fancy hotel lobby with like these designer chairs, those are always the ones that people say like, oh, you know, top 10 places to co-work in the world. Co-working Basco, it doesn't look like that in photos, but it is actually functional. Was that the idea when you guys designed the space? I mean, we designed the space mostly for us. So Uwe and I, we decided for well, how do we want a co-working space and we have both seen a lot of co-working spaces and we took good ideas from everywhere uh, we are not interior designers so it wasn't our goal to have the most beautiful looking space even though i think it, it kind of looks okay we had a designer and a team but what's really helping is every two months we do a, a members feedback where 
every member can tell us like what can we actually improve and we always improve i mean there's always a list it's never finished and it's like a startup so we uh we don't think the the product co-working bansko is done we think more of it it's like an evolving thing we have different people coming um different people have different requirements and we try to make them happen we don't always look at is it really a financially good idea to make it happen so we we tend to overspend on stuff especially on stuff that uve and i like but we take this members feedback very seriously and i think this is very important and i have seen a lot of these very beautiful looking spaces and i was in a in an interesting project last year where they just opened one of these spaces that looked absolutely beautiful and then the community manager wanted to rearrange a sofa for a movie screening and she puts the sofa in a different position and the general manager came to her and, and totally destroyed her for how can she change what the interior designer decided for the co-working space just because she wanted to have a movie screening and here in Bansko it's like the total opposite so yes we provide the space in a way how we think it's right but we also have members that <laughs> rearrange our furniture that paint stuff on our doors so i think this is part of it you need to make sure that the members feel ownership of the co-working space and then they come up with good ideas how they would like to make it happen for them yeah i really like that it really feels inclusive i think that's something that you guys do really well is even just the onboarding emails you got your onboarding emails are honestly the only ones i've ever actually read i know some other spaces have them you know, I might read the first one to, you know, to, like, uh, basically I'll skim through it to see what there is. But you guys really seem like you care about onboarding people into the community and having us get the most out of not only the coworking space, but also of our whole experience while we're here in Bengsko. Yeah, I think that's important. And this is also something that's not done. I mean, the onboarding emails, probably at least once a month, I either add a sentence or rearrange a paragraph or do something based on the experience that we have. So when we know people have problems finding transportation from Sofia, then we figure out, okay, what is the most economically way to get from Sofia to Bansko? And we write about it. If people know want to know how to do the laundry or um, how to get healthy food in the evening delivered, then we've tried to figure this out together with the members and then document it and put it in onboarding emails because i think this is important right so um whenever i travel there's always when you arrive at a new destination the first few days are just not productive because you have to figure out like how does everything work and we are trying to make it easier for people so that they can be productive and feel included the first day yeah i, I really i really really like that and actually what's funny is um because i had met you you know in person we hung out i think in what both Chiang Mai and in spain i would before i came i I either messaged you or post in the group like, oh, you know, asking all these questions. And eventually you just sent me um, a link saying, hey, this all this is in our PDF. And I actually felt bad after I found the PDF because I realized, hey, I've been wasting everybody's time asking all these. They're not dumb questions, but the, the newbie questions that were already answered. So if people want to get this this PDF. Where do they go? Uh, it's linked from the homepage. And in all the PDF, I mean, don't feel bad because maybe initially when you started asking all your questions, maybe we didn't have it back then. Um, so this is something that's evolving. So when, if you get a lot of questions about some topics, then we add it to our guide. If we see members struggle with some issues, then we try to figure it out. So it's like constantly evolving and it's also changing because Bansko is changing. So there's new businesses uh, popping up here. There's new restaurants. There's restaurants closing. There's some hotels that are open or that are closing and 
and so you you need to stay on top of this and trying to do all this online before you arrive is difficult so we said okay we figure out a process to make it easy i like it so i found it uh if you go to coworkingbanksco.com and you scroll a bit down it says a guide to banksco and if you click on that you just enter your email uh they'll send it over and it really is really good it's like you can tell that a lot of time went into this um I know that a lot of people freak out about, you know, wanting their Airbnb booked before they come. I can tell you guys from personal experience, Banksco is not one of those places where you need to book uh, on Airbnb or you even really need to book ahead, especially during the summer months. Um, if you want, you can join the public Facebook groups also on uh, the, the homepage uh, and see if anyone is renting out their place. Uh, or you can actually, you guys actually have an onboarding program, right? Where... Yeah, I mean, we have also a package for people that just want, don't want to bother at all trying to figure it out. Uh, we have a package that includes transportation, accommodation, and co-working, and a SIM card, and a free entrance to the hot springs that we went yesterday to. So um, we really want to make it very easy. So the reason why um, you should figure it out here is, for example, I think you are renting an apartment from Miroslav. He has like four or five apartments. And of course, if they are, they are taken, then they are taken. And people here, they don't reserve you an apartment three months up in advance because they want to rent it out right so they want to reserve it but we have a few people like this that rent apartments so if someone arrives here in Bansko, we will know okay which apartments are empty and who to contact and then it's very easy to get an apartment just doing this like a few months up front online is difficult or you use airbnb but airbnb is at least two or three times the prices that you would get locally so what are some of the the prices for let's say a studio or one bedroom during the summer and then how much would it be in the winter um, so it depends a little bit how long you rent it, but I think about 150 to 200 euro is the normal range for an apartment. Um, the main difference is that in the winter, the utility bill is way higher because of heating. So uh, you should expect about 150 to 200 euros for heating, which makes the apartments more expensive in the winter because then a lot of buildings already include the utility cost. But um, generally, the prices are not so different. Also, um, if you then do like a long term, like a annual contract, you don't get a huge discount. So expect about 150 euro for the apartment plus um, significant amount or double in utility. Um, but this is also something, I mean, when you look at this and you say, okay, I pay 150 for the apartment and now I should pay like 150 for utilities, a lot of people think this is pretty crazy. But I checked how much I paid for utilities in Salzburg and it was much cheaper. <laughs> so, um, And here it's just if you compare it to the cost of rent, but if you look at the absolute cost, it's not so different. And this is because energy prices around the world, they're always related to oil and so, uh, similar prices. And this is actually why we started to do packages, because if you look at the uh, uh, transfer from Sofia to Bansko, you will find out that this is about 60 to 70 euros with a, with a private car that takes you one way. And if you pay only 20 euros for the flight and then you have to pay 60 euros for the transfer, you say, okay, this is too expensive. So we are hiding a little bit the transfer prices in the packages. Um, so that people say, oh, it's like one month. I can stay for 300 euros for one month. This is great. And it includes a transfer. Oh, so the so the okay. So I'm looking at your site now, and for the one month package, the airport for 395 euros. That airport transfer is it by bus or by car? Who picks you up? No, it's a private transfer. A car picks you up. There's a driver with a sign, and they pick you up from the airport. Okay, and they and they take you straight here, and then you you have a a room um, nearby the coworking space. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you get coworking space membership. Yeah, it's, it basically includes everything to make you happy for one month. So. 
I think that's a, it's, it's a good value. Like four, like four hundred euros, which is what four hundred sixty US or something like that. Um, if you just look at that, and you you can save yourself literally five hours of research and you know like looking around on Airbnb, trying to figure out how to take the bus, all that stuff. I would probably recommend to people if you don't want to waste a lot of time overthinking everything, just book that one month um, package, and then. After you're here, you're kind of settled in. You know the area better. And uh, if you want to stay longer, then you guys can, you know, find your own apartment. Maybe, maybe you end up buying a place, uh, or uh, you end up, you know, just having the information. So the next time you come, you'll know how to do it. Because at the end of the day, I mean, for four hundred something dollars, it's so cheap. Like you really, you can, really can't do that anywhere else in the world. And it's, you know, maybe you can do it a little bit cheaper on your own. If you take the bus, you find your own accommodation, you find your own, you know, uh, everything. But I realized that even as a professional traveler, I ended up spending at least 20 hours before I came here just looking around. And that time I could have been doing something else. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And this is why we did it. So um, we found out that people ask us a lot of questions like, how do I get from Sofia to Bansko? How do you find an apartment? Is the apartment close? Should I be close to the gondola or to the co-working space? And then by the time you answer all these questions, uh, it's not necessarily helping you much better to understand how Bansko works. So we decided, okay, here's a package. This book's a package. It's easy. It's affordable. And it makes your life easier. And it also makes our life easier. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that's a great idea. I think it's a it's a good price point where, you know, it's any anybody can afford that. You know, and if you guys are on an even tighter budget, I mean, you can you can take the bus here for about ten dollars from Sofia. It's it's not that hard to figure out. I I read all the stuff on uh on the blog post. But either way, this is a this is definitely the cheapest place in Europe I've ever lived. And depending on your lifestyle I would say this is this place could actually be cheaper than Chiang Mai. So, for example, accommodation, I think it's it's actually pretty similar. Uh, where you can get a studio apartment in Chiang Mai for one hundred fifty dollars uh, here, about the same as well. I think for bigger or nicer places, uh, it might actually be a little bit cheaper here. Where in Chiang Mai, it's kind of a, a big gap between, like, it's really cheap to get cheap local places, and then to get kind of modern two bedroom, two baths. It's gonna be a thousand dollars just because they're not that that popular. And then food wise, even though technically if you just had Thai food, it's cheaper in Thailand for lunch. You know, you might be able to have lunch for a dollar fifty. But in in Chiang Mai, you would still spend five or ten dollars if you want to have a nice West Western type meal, which we end up eating a lot just because you know we miss um, we miss Western food or we get tired of eating Thai food all day all the time. Here for lunch, we're spending on average like three euros for like a nice like Western lunch. Yeah. So, I mean, this was always my assumption that Bansko is at the same level as Chiang Mai or even cheaper. Uh, we have a nomad in residence program where every month we take in one volunteer who helps us a little bit uh, around the co-working space in exchange for free accommodation and free co-working. And the last two volunteers did an ex expense report for Bansko. Uh, one girl, an American girl, she spent about a thousand dollars here. Uh, which I think is on the upper end, especially if you consider that the local people here uh, only earn like 
maybe four or five hundred dollars. And we just had a, a girl here from Chile and she spent only 500 euros for the whole month. So, um, and she didn't eat a lot of animal products and she didn't eat out a lot often. So she was cooking, but still you can really, if you, if money is tight, then Bansko is a good location where you can save money while you're here. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely the cheapest place in Europe that I've seen. And if you drink alcohol, it's cheaper than Chiang Like it's way cheaper than Chiang Mai. Like, how much is a, a co- like a draft beer here at a restaurant? Uh, I would think about two left, one euro. So it's one euro, which is a dollar twenty cents. And in a shop, if you want to buy beer. Ah, so in a shop, if you want to buy beer, they actually have these very large two liter bottles, and there are only one left. So fifty cents, basically, <laughs> for a two liter bottle of beer, which is insane, and like a, a glass of wine at a restaurant. Yeah, it's probably also about two or three left. There's a very nice wine bar here uh, where they have Bulgarian wines and a bottle of wine there normally runs about 20 to 25 left. Yeah, so uh, to make it easy for everyone, two lev is one euro. So just divide the lev in half and that's a euro, uh, which is pretty similar to the dollar. It's about 20% more. But in general, two dollar, a dollar for a beer, two dollars for a glass of wine, three dollars for lunch. Dinner is going to be a bit more, um, especially because this is kind of a, a touristy area, but the food is excellent. Uh, it's it's amazing. Uh, if you like meat, you know, if you like vegetables and potatoes, this is probably one of the best places on earth to have like good hearty meals. Uh, but also if you like uh, cherries and strawberries and fruits and fresh vegetables and salads, it is really good here. And it's, it's surprisingly good. Like, I've heard some rumors on why the, the vegetables and fruit taste so good, but do, do you have any idea why? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's easy to see. On the one hand, it's a climate. So um, stuff grows here very easily because it's warm. Um, the other aspect is that Bulgaria is not a very developed country. So a lot of the farmers, they just grow automatically everything organic. They don't use a lot of pesticides and insecticides. Uh, they don't use like um, commercial industrial farming. So you really have old ladies that grow crop in their gardens and then they sell it on the market. Yeah, so one of my favorite things is every Sunday, about a block away from the co-working space, there is a kind of farmer's market where you have these old ladies basically selling like potatoes with dirt on it still or carrots with the... Um, you know, with the green still attached. And you can get a kilo of either strawberries or cherries for a, a one euro fifty, which is like a dollar a pound for some of the best strawberries and best cherries you've ever had. They make homemade yogurt. And for some uh, reason, Bulgarian yogurt is actually really famous in Japan and some parts of the world. It's really good. Uh, they have local honey that they, that they produce and it's it really is like a f- kind of natural food heaven. Uh, it's not as convenient, you know, as as a lot of places because there's no like you can't go to KFC. You can't really, you know, it's pretty hard to get like takeaway. There's not a lot of prepackaged food. But for people who like either to cook at home uh, or to buy, you know, fruits and vegetables or like to go to rest to restaurants. This really is a great place. Yeah, I fully agree. And I mean, when you go to the market, you can also see that this is really homegrown. So the the tomatoes, they look a little bit different than the tomatoes you buy in the grocery store. Uh, maybe the optics are not so nice, but the taste is just amazing. Yeah, I think we call them heirloom tomatoes in the US and they taste like tomatoes. Um, it's it, it really is good. So uh, I like Banksco a lot. I'm glad I came. Uh, honestly, when I, when I first heard about it, 
in my mind, I was like, ah, I can't, I can't tell people are just hyping it up, uh, or if it really is going to be a good place. Uh, I've been here for a month now. I can assure everyone that it is a good place. That's worth checking out. It's a small village, so you know you might get bored. It depends a lot on who happens to be here at the time because your only friends are going to be the, you know, ten, twenty, thirty, forty people at the co-working space at the time. But I would say it's definitely a good place to come bootstrap to save money uh, or to put your head down and, and, and work. You know, it's one of those places where you come, if you work on a project, good, fast, stable internet, you know, go to lunch with whoever happens to be at the core space at the time, work more. And then at night, there's always some kind of activity, whether it's board games, going to the hot spring, you know, going out to dinner, um, you know, watching a movie at the projector downstairs. But don't expect, you know, lots to do outside of the co-working space it's not a place where you can you know go to the mall go to the cinemas um you know go have sushi even though technically they have it in nearby villages but most likely that's not going to happen it's not a place you can go you can go clubbing but it's it's a nice place overall so thank you Mateus, for for creating it thank you to uh, uvi uh, who is sailing around croatia right now and if people want to uh check out the space a bit more uh the website is coworkingbanksco.com and do you guys post anywhere on social media or anything? Uh, yeah, so we have a pretty active Facebook group um, where people can find out about, about Bansko before they come and also where our members can stay in touch after they leave Bansko. And I think it's really interesting because a lot of them meet up around the world again and again. Uh, they share their successes. So um, we often do things where we help people either with skill sharing sessions or with mastermind groups. And for me, it's really interesting to see how our members and our alumni are developing and you hear an idea first a few months ago and then a few months later they launched the website they were talking about. So I think this is really amazing to see how everyone is really working on their passion and becoming more and more successful and the other members generally help them. So there's this idea here that the more you put into the co-working space, the more you get out. And a lot of the members, they really help each other to be more successful with their businesses and make recommendations. Uh, we have a guy here who just helped um, people to get a website last week. Uh, we have a lot of people that help each other with marketing skills. We have people that uh, join um, other members' companies as either employee or as a partner. So I think it's really amazing to see how this community is really helping each other and growing even at times when they are not here in Bansko. Yeah, I, I really love that as well. And uh, I highly encourage everyone to, to come, uh, especially if you have something that you are really working on, You know, if you, whether you're starting an FBA product on Amazon or a dropshipping store or creating a course or programming or learning something, whatever it is, Come with something in mind <laughs> um, and get to work. Uh, coworkingbanksco.com or if you want to read my blog post where I go into more detail about the cost of living, uh, where to stay, uh, things to do, go to johnnyfd.com and search Banksco. And thanks again and I'll see all of you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.